All right, good morning. 11 o'clock comes around quick, doesn't it, Tim? It just happens. Uh, Welcome to worship. We're delighted that you have gathered to join with us here in the house of the Lord as we worship our God this day. Uh, In your bulletins, as always, there is a uh, tear-off portion. If you're a visitor, fill that out and put it in the offering plate. We'll have a record of your attendance. On the other side, the yellow side, is the decision information time. At the bottom is the prayer request time. This has been such a blessing, so continue to share your prayer requests, and we'll pray for them uh, each Monday in our staff meeting. And uh, please don't neglect doing that, because it is an honor and a privilege to do that and uh, to, to be able to lift up all our needs before the Lord together is uh, a wonderful time each Monday morning in our staff meeting. A couple other announcements. We have... Uh, Our Southwest Virginia mission trip is still collecting the outfits and the stuffed animals for their trip in August. What they need is outfits from toddlers through high school age. So if you can collect an outfit or uh, clothes that would fit those appropriate for fall, I mentioned this before, for fall, not for summer clothes, so pants and those type of things as well, uh, we will take them with us on the the, uh, August trip. And then the stuffed animals are for the seniors in the nursing homes. So both of these items need to be gently used, not torn or worn or old. And so we will collect those and take those, and it will be a blessing to those who are in need. This Wednesday is our business meeting. We have to have 40 people. I said at the last uh, service, I was like, if you're on the fence about coming to business meeting, Come, because we need you there to make our 40. Uh, there will also be a covered dish supper at 5.30 beforehand. So business meeting this Wednesday, 6.15. And then um, looking forward to seeing you all there. All right. Is Judy here? All right, all right. As she comes up to share about VBS, I wanted to make mention of these, these flyers that we shared about last week. We put two in each of the bulletins last week. One was for yourself, one was to give to a family to invite to Vacation Bible School. So I hope that you have done that or are praying about doing that. If you have given both out and you need more, we've printed some off in the back of each uh, of the services. Take some more, and if you have people who you'd like to invite, I know Tim's got some people in his neighborhood he's inviting, so we can get some more children to, to, uh, to love on and to share about Jesus at Vacation Bible School. So here is Judy. Good morning. So VBS each year is really a wonderful missions opportunity for our church congregation to invite children from the community, our own relatives, to come in and have an experience with Jesus Christ. And some of these children don't attend church, and Bible school is where they hear it and only where they hear it. So it's important that we bring some children to Bible school this year. So if you could take those flyers and just give one out, That would be much appreciated. We are asking for registration either online or there are forms in the church office. If they don't register, that's okay. They can register the first night that they come. And Bible school is from preschool age, age three, all the way through fifth grade, so rising sixth graders. So really age three through age 11 is our age group for this year. And I just wanted to let you know about a few more needs before Bible school starts. By the way, it's in two weeks, two weeks from today. Um, The Family Life Center will be converted into a a pirate island paradise for treasure hunting. So you need to come check it out. Um, Every night next week or every afternoon into the evening this coming week, um, I'll be here uh, trying to set up some things and work on some things. So if you're available to come up and help, That would be wonderful. Just give me a call. My information's in the touchstone or email me. Um, Next, the Sunday of the 30th is the first day of Bible school. So Sunday night, two weeks from today, will be the first day. And I just want to ask for your prayers as we continue to prepare for Bible school that the children will be blessed and the workers will be blessed and it will be a very successful Bible school. Thank you so much. Honor and glory, my 
Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and for the joy it is to be in your house to worship you and to glorify your name. Father God, we thank you that your spirit is with us and we ask that uh, your Holy Spirit guide and directs the service, that uh, our hearts might be attentive and that our minds would be focused on all that you have for us. We thank you for those uh, who are here in attendance. We thank you for those who are leading each part of this worship service. And we do pray that you are glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, and we are here this morning to worship our Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll be talking and singing about today about our wonderful Savior, and as it says in Isaiah 9-6, his name shall be called Wonderful, so we're going to stand and sing together. His name is Wonderful, page 315. seated. Turn with us as we read responsibly in the very back of your hymnals to page 856, The Suffering of Christ, page 856, and I will do the worship leader part, and uh, Leslie will read along with you with the worshipers. I believe it's number 16, yes? 16, if you're looking on that page 856, right at the top, 16, The Suffering of Christ. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we will continue singing this morning the song, I Stand Amazed in the Presence, page 237. Please stand. Page 237.
everyone. It's good to see you here. Thank you for being here. Let's go to the God in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for all these people that are here today. Thank you for the tithes and offerings we are about to collect to further your kingdom. Help it to encourage others, others that have not heard of you and others who have heard of you but have not committed. Let us all be, me- all be messengers of encouragement. Let us help people and guide them to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
many of you uh, already know, but I wanted to let you know, if you don't, that uh, we lost one of our members this past week. Uh, Doug Yarborough passed away on Wednesday. Uh, Doug was actually working the soundboard last Sunday uh, here, and uh, he had, um, uh, we were pretty sure he had a massive heart attack on Wednesday about midday and passed away uh, probably before he even arrived at the hospital. So uh, I wanted you to be in prayer for his mother, Dorothy. Uh, she uh, is, uh, he was never married, has no children, and so his next of kin is his mother. And she's dealing with all of the things that you have to deal with at a time like this on her own. So we want to pray for her. And I do want to let you know that there will be a memorial service here for Doug on July the 26th, which is a week from Wednesday, July the 26th at 11 o'clock with visitation prior to um, the um, service. So that is a week from Wednesday, July 26. I say it again because it's easy to get that confused and think it would be this Wednesday. So uh, we certainly are grieving over our loss. Doug would, a matter of fact, his birthday is the 26th of July and he would be, he would have been 57 years old. So uh, we certainly are uh, sorry uh, for this loss, and uh, it has certainly touched a lot of us very close this past week, but wanted to make you aware of that as we enter our time of prayer. Shall we pray? Gracious and eternal God, in the midst of our sorrow, we know that we find hope in you. And so we ask, Father, that you draw near to us in a way that we can feel the power of your presence in this time. We are thankful for Doug and for his ministry among us in this church. And we pray for his mother, who is dealing with the loss of her only child. May you wrap your arms around her and give her encouragement, comfort, and strength over these next few weeks, months, and even years. We thank you for Doug's faith, for we know, Father, at this very moment, Doug is safe with you, and for this we give thanks. We are thankful, Father, that as we come to this sanctuary, we are reminded of what you have done for us and what you continue to do. In our lives that sometimes are filled with anxiety and stress, you are here. To show us that in the midst of all of life's troubles, your grace is sufficient. And for this we are thankful. We pray, Father, for those of our church family who are facing surgery this week. We pray, Father, that as they go for surgery, that whatever the problem may be, that it will be corrected and that they will be soon up and around and doing the things they enjoy doing. Bring healing to their bodies. Give them patience and comfort. Alleviate their fears as only you can. We are grateful for doctors, for hospitals, for Nurses for support staff who help us when we have needs. But most of all, we're thankful for you. For indeed, you are the great physician. I pray, Father, that as we open your word, that we might be instructed and convicted to apply what we hear and what we read to our lives. We are grateful for our missionaries here and around the world for their willingness to go sometimes into very hostile areas to proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Supply their needs. Encourage them each day. We also pray for our church and for the ministries of this summer. For Vacation Bible School as it comes up in a couple of weeks. We pray, Father, that you will prepare the hearts and minds of our students. 
For indeed, Father, the children need to be introduced to the Savior. For the youth who will be going on mission trip a week from tomorrow and for the group that will be going to Nicholsville in August, we pray, Father, that our hearts and minds might be prepared to share the good news of salvation as we minister in the name of Jesus. We are grateful, Father, for the opportunities that we have to serve in this place. But we pray, Father, that you will help us to overcome our apathy and indifference so that we might be challenged to do more, that we could challenge one another to go and to tell as we are empowered by your Spirit. We give thanks for your word and for the hope that rests in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If there is one here this morning, Father, without that assurance of salvation through Christ, I pray that something that is said might convict them by the presence of your Spirit. Draw near to us as we seek to listen for a word from you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 52. As we conclude our four-week survey of some of the more familiar passages in the book of Isaiah. And certainly as we have prepared ourselves in worship today, it deals with the suffering servant, our Savior. So beginning at verse 14 of chapter 52 and reading the entirety of chapter 53, we begin at verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, who has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. What are the 100 most important historical events? Several years ago, Grosset and Dunlap, in order to publicize a new history book, asked a group of 28 journalists, educators, and historians to list what they considered to be the 100 most crucial events in history. And certainly we could debate these all day. In first place was Columbus's discovery of America. Gutenberg's development of movable type rated second. Some 11 events tied for third place, but these events tied for fourth place. Ether makes surgery painless. The discovery of x-ray, the invention of the airplane by the Wright brothers, the U.S. Constitution taking effect, and Jesus Christ is crucified. The passage before us indicates that had Isaiah been asked to make such a list, the Savior would have been at the very top. But such a rating requires spiritual awareness. And we live in a world that has little time for such thought of spiritual things. We are far too busy. In his picture, Despised and Rejected, Sigmund Goitz graphically illustrates people's indifference to Christ. The center of the picture is consumed with the suffering Christ surrounded by people of all kinds. In spite of his tremendous sufferings, Christ seems to be unnoticed to about all of them. 
The workman has his glass of beer in hand and the political agitator has his motley crowd. The scientist is aware only of his test tubes. The newsboy is busy telling his, selling his paper with the latest scandals. The social set are obsessed with their vain frivolities and the military leaders have no interest in a suffering prince. Even the religious leaders, instead of giving attention to the suffering Christ, consume themselves with disputes about the text of scriptures. Only a nurse, accustomed to seeing pain and anguish, turns an eye toward the suffering Savior. In the midst of busy people, Christ is despised and rejected of men. The problem still remains. We have turned everyone to his own way, the scripture teaches. Oblivious to God's world, people have tried to build their own worlds. Isaiah lifts his voice to those who are too busy and calls them to see what they overlooked. Isaiah reminds us of all that God has done while people were busy with themselves. Known as the fourth servant song in the book of Isaiah, this song has been described as the most influential poem in literature. The highest peak of the Old Testament revelation and the heart of the Old Testament, if for some reason the entire song were to disappear from the book of Isaiah, it could be almost completely reconstructed from the quotations borrowed from it by New Testament writers. Of the 12 verses in chapter 53, for example, there is only one which does not reappear in whole or in part somewhere in the New Testament. The wide use of the passage by these New Testament writers shows that they considered it to be a vital part of understanding the gospel. The prophecy of Isaiah about the suffering servant shows us of our need of a Savior. So let's look at these verses for just a few moments. Let's look first at how the Savior or the Savior came in verses 14 of chapter 52 and verse 2 of chapter 53. Inspired of God, Isaiah speaks of the coming Christ. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. The ancient rabbis saw in this scripture the promise of the Messiah. The Targum of Jonathan and the Talmud of Babylon interpret Isaiah as speaking of the coming Messiah. Only since the Jewish rejection of Christ have Jewish authors refused to see the Messiah in this passage. At first reading, Isaiah's description of Christ differs greatly with that of the artist Solomon. He speaks of his visage being marred. But you know the picture of the artist Solomon. It's probably the most popular picture that we've ever seen of Jesus. And there's probably one in the church somewhere. I didn't go exploring. But it's a picture of Jesus that all of us are familiar with. And it is said that Solomon struggling in effort to paint the head of Christ was inspired either in dream or in vision and in a moment saw the head of Christ which he then painted. And since that time... It has become world famous. Isaiah is making no effort to interpret the physical features of Christ. Rather, he pictures the inner anguish and suffering that people disdain to see in Christ. In verse 14, Isaiah suggests that the servant has become so disfigured through suffering that he scarcely appears to even be human. For this reason, people are astonished at him, which means that they regard him with a mixture of surprise, contempt, and aversion. We are too busy to look at a suffering Savior. With great accuracy, Isaiah predicts the blindness of people. We see in his words a tone of discouragement. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The report of which Isaiah speaks is explained in his following statement in terms of the arm of the Lord. Isaiah is reporting the Lord's arm at work in the affairs of people, yet he is discouraged because so very few desire to see him. It seems that people have always preferred to shun the truth. 
No one likes to look upon something that is unsightly. No one would want to see a human being beaten beyond recognition. No one would unbusy themselves to come to terms with what the Savior was doing. But Isaiah makes it very clear to us that the Savior suffered and died. Verse, died verses 3 through 5 of 53 and 8 and 9. Listen to Isaiah's condensed biography. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, surely rejected. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Literally, Isaiah uses words that indicate that it is the men of high places who reject this Christ. And the hatred they feel for him is akin to Esau's attitude in despising his own birthright of seeing no lasting value in it. Those of religious authority, even in the days of Isaiah, could not see the truth of the coming Messiah. When Christians question their plight and their griefs, they do well to remember that their Savior was well acquainted with grief. He and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, the Scripture teaches. Yet he was not concerned with the luxuries of life, which consume most of our planning. Rather, he was concerned with his sole purpose for having come into the world. He said, I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Jesus knew his mission and Isaiah was sharing that prophecy with us. While people were busy with the wheels of business and the revelries of pleasure, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation, the scripture teaches? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. There is no way to explain the preciseness of Isaiah's prophecy apart from the inspiration of God. Jesus was taken from Pilate's judgment and forced to bear his cross to the place of execution. There was no one to declare his generation. This phrase may well speak of the custom of having a crier walk ahead of the condemned criminal, announcing his crime and calling for anyone who desires to come forward and assert the innocence of the criminal or to speak a good word for him. But no one came forward. The meaning and purpose of Jesus' death are simply stated. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. His chastisement was the price by which our peace was secured. The healing of bodies and our sin-torn lives is made possible because of his stripes. He gives to us a peace that came at great price to his peace. He is the one who came to die so that we could be forgiven. And we know that the servant's suffering leads eventually to his death, which is described here in sacrificial terms. There is a profound difference, however, between this sacrifice and those mentioned in the priestly legislation. It is a sacrifice offered outside the temple, and the victim is a blameless man rather than an unblemished animal. Furthermore, it is a sacrifice that makes all other sacrifices unnecessary. Jesus secured the future of those who would have faith in him through his death. This does not mean, however, that the sacrifice of the servant works automatically to provide atonement. It accomplishes this only for those who make it the vehicle of their approach to God. Only those who through faith and repentance make his sacrifice their own and confess that he was wounded for their transgressions and bruised for their iniquities receive this forgiveness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Dickens in his tale of two cities tells the story of a young nobleman, Charles Darney, imprisoned during the violence of the French Revolution, condemned to the guillotine, he faced certain death. However, a man named Carton, because he admired Darney's wife, visited the cell, drugged Darney, exchanged clothing with him, and went to the guillotine in his place. This is an illustration of the purpose of Christ's death. He paid our death penalty which we deserve because we have sinned. And when He did it, there was no trumpet, no fanfare, and no newspaper headlines to glorify His action. The only attention drawn to His death was that which came from above as the sun was darkened and the earth made to tremble. People had more important things to think about. They were too busy to realize what Christ was doing. We must learn to stop being so busy about things a hundred years from now that will make no difference and concentrate on what we can do now to change the lives of people that we come in contact with. They will thank you in eternity. But there is a price to pay for our salvation. But we know how this story comes out and Isaiah reminds us of that in his prophecy in verses 10 and 11. The Savior triumphed. The revolutionary truth announced in these verses is that the servant's vindication comes after his death. A great miracle takes place, therefore, for after his death and burial, he is enabled to see, the scripture says, his offspring to prolong his days and to witness the successful completion of his mission. His death is not his defeat, but his noblest achievement and the means by which many are reconciled to God. Paul understood it, didn't he, when he said, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah sees beyond the death of the Messiah to behold his victory. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Though the crucifixion would seem to have snuffed out any lineage. Isaiah sees the Savior looking after his offspring. Through his death, he made possible our adoption as children of God. Isaiah sees that although although death is certain for the Savior, beyond death, he shall prolong his days. Although the cross was the greatest tragedy in the human story, it was also the greatest triumph, for it gave way to the resurrection. Isaiah pictures the triumph of the Savior in terms of a conquering general leading his procession of the spoils of victory and the captives of his conquest. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Christ defeated sin, death, and Satan. The forces that destroy people became his captives. He calls all people now to share in his victory. How tragic that people are too busy to hear. We come each week to be reminded of what Christ has done for us in the hopes that it will challenge us to leave this place and tell others. We cannot take for granted, not for one minute, what Christ has done for us through the cross and by the resurrection. We are not guaranteed the next moment Apart from Christ. The Savior offered healing in verse 12. People are at once aware of physical malady because it affects them outwardly, doesn't it? Sin is a hideous, incurable disease that may often go unnoticed because it affects a person inwardly. It distorts one's reason and perverts one's values. Yet people are guilty for having this disease because it is a willful one. Aware of salvation, people choose to ignore it. Told about the Savior, people tend to shrug off their need of Him. Living in unbelief, people find themselves in all sorts of perversions and anxieties. Yet because Christ died for our sins, He can offer us healing for our souls. What 
Isaiah described of Jesus in many ways was Jesus turned inside out so that we could see the ugliness of our sin. We, what we fail to realize is that Christ's offer of healing remains today, but is for today only. We might not have tomorrow because we are busy today. We are tempted to put off all thought of spiritual sickness until tomorrow, taking a chance that tomorrow will come. But Isaiah in this passage of Scripture is reminding us of the great price paid for our sins and of our urgency to respond. David Lockhart, a missionary in Africa, writes of the death of a little girl named Gila. Though she had been converted, her father was an unbeliever. Not knowing how the father would take the death of his daughter, Lockhart waited until after the funeral and then spoke tenderly to him about God. Gila's father, with tears in his dark eyes, said, My little girl used to run errands for me. She was always bringing me things. But today she brought me the greatest gift of all. She brought me a Savior. Isaiah shows us the way and the New Testament writers picked up on what Isaiah said and said, Don't you see? Don't you see the power of God in Christ to deliver us now and for eternity? Can't you see that to follow Him is the way to go? On Friday, Janet and I went and rode a train in West Virginia. I love trains. Some of you may have seen that on Facebook. Janet put it on there. But I love to ride trains. I grew up on the railroad. My grandfather and great-grandfather were uh, track foremans. And so if there's a train to ride and I have time to do it, I try to seek it out to ride it. So on Thursday evening, we drove to Harrisonburg, spent the night, and then drove to Elkins, West Virginia. And there's a lot of mountains between here and Elkins, let me tell you. And when we got on the train... To ride, we rode on, it was a diesel engine. It had six cars attached to it. The engine was built in 1952, and we were riding in a Pullman car. And one of the things they told us about the train ride, as we journeyed up the mountain to a waterfall at a very um, slow pace, that we would pass through a 1,700-foot tunnel that was built in the early 1900s. Now, a 1,700-foot tunnel is a pretty long tunnel to go through in darkness. They said, don't worry, the lights will be on in the car, but it will be dark outside. We were the first car behind the engine. The horn sounded, the train slowed, and we made our way through that tunnel, and Janet started fanning herself as if to be afraid. Well, the interesting thing was on the journey back, the engine switched places and we were the last car and not the first car. And so when we got back to the tunnel, they turned the lights off in our car and turned an exterior light on so that we could see the tunnel as as it was passing behind us. It was quite interesting. I don't know how we fit through the tunnel, to tell you the truth. But either way, I wasn't worried. And the reason I wasn't worried, I knew that that engineer had been that way before or they wouldn't have told me that tunnel was coming. So I knew he could get through that tunnel. And so I just rode along. But on the way back, and only on the way back, did we see the tunnel as we came back through it. We saw what we couldn't see before. And that's really how we are as people. We can see where we've been, but we can't see where we're going. And so we have to depend on someone. And I choose to depend on God. His word is true, His word is inspired, it shows us the way even when we don't know where we're going.
Never, ever be too busy to see God. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are grateful that in Christ we know the way. We only need to follow. We are thankful that Isaiah shows us the great price of our sins. But we are thankful that Jesus shows us the way to forgiveness. He died for all, Father, but it is our responsibility to choose Him. To never be so busy to allow the Savior to lead us. Speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 412, The Savior is Waiting. The Savior gave His all so that we could have life. The Savior can relieve your anxiety, your stress, and your fears if you give yourself to Him. As the man said about his daughter, she gave me what I needed most, a Savior. Allow yourself to come to the Savior. And never be too busy to follow in His way. Will you stand as we sing? Thank you for being a part of this service. I know that lots of our folks are still traveling through the summer. Some of us come back and others of us leave. And uh, that's the case today. We had 95 in the first service, so our numbers were pretty stable in that service, up from a little bit from last week. But I'm grateful that you don't forget to come in the summer. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in all of the summer activities. We were talking, I'll share this with you because you can probably appreciate it more so than the people in the first service. I was talking to someone in the first service, it was a good thing we have air conditioner, no one would come. And I said, yeah, you're probably right, but when I was growing up, our church didn't have air conditioning. If you didn't sweat, you didn't love Jesus. You know, it's just the way it was. Uh, You came to church and uh, uh, regardless of the weather, 
uh, and the time. But uh, I'm grateful that you are here today, and I always want to acknowledge that because uh, we come together each week to worship the Lord and certainly listen for a word from Him, and I'm grateful that you give me that opportunity to uh, share the word with you. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart on the day that you have given to us, we know that you are for us. You gave your all for us. And because you have given your all for us, Father, we have a responsibility to accept that gift and to share it with others. May we do so this week, Father, as we seek to serve you and as we seek to be light in a very dark world. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.